0: I'm going to figure this out eventually. So I'd like to do a little exercise with everybody. If I know Thanksgiving's been on your mind, and maybe you've talked around the the dinner table about things you're thankful for, or maybe you've been posting about that. But why don't you just turn uh, maybe behind you or in front of you or beside you and tell the person around you maybe two or three things that just come to mind that you're thankful for this morning. And you may begin now. Okay, it sounds like we have a very thankful group this morning. Uh, I'd like to just hear just a couple of, or maybe two or three of those. So, can somebody just tell me something that they heard somebody else uh, say that they're thankful for? You don't have to point out who that is, but what did did you hear? What are people thankful for? Yes. Oh, that is really great. (laughs) Check. you get lunch. That's good. (laughs) That's my boy, uh what else did you hear Who, What else are you thankful for this morning? yes, oh. church family, yeah, absolutely, what else did you hear yeah yeah, absolutely, absolutely, salvation oh thank you, <laughs> likewise, likewise yeah maybe anything else, maybe one or two more what what things are we thankful for this morning, yeah God's word for our health, yeah. All, all these things, and we can go on and on. We can give 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. We're going to keep it to three this morning. Um, at our at our house, we started several years ago the tradition of the Thanksgiving basket, and so the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, we have this out and uh, all these little slips of paper and a pen, and you can write things you're thankful for. Uh, some of the family uh, does that over the weeks, and some of us cram the night before and uh, <laughs> just, just binge on thankfulness and write, write things in the basket. Um, but as I look through that basket, I think some of those things are, are kind of trivial. And, and yet, every good thing is from the Lord, isn't it? We can be thankful for those things. Some of those things are, are priceless. And, uh, and there's other things that can never be taken away. And we're going to talk about some of those Things this morning. Um, There's a song about uh, about being grateful, and it's a patriotic song that really resonated with a lot of people. Um, It's uh, by Lee Greenwood. You might be familiar with it. And there's just some of the lyrics. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today because the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. It's, it's a sentiment that really resonated with a lot of people. And, and there's some good thoughts to that. But it just doesn't go far enough. Because I know in this very room, there's people who have lost children. And they've lost spouses. And can we still be thankful? It says they, they can't take away that freedom. Well, there's people in this world who are followers of Jesus who've lost their country. They've had to run for their lives what they thought was secure, that they couldn't take away, it's gone. And so in this basket are a lot of things that I'm thankful for, and some of those things cannot be taken away, but a lot of them can, even things that are, that are very precious. And so what I want to talk about this morning is, if we come to a point in our lives when our basket is empty, when these things we feel like uh, they've been taken away, They're gone. We don't have a lot that just pops into our mind to be thankful for. As sons and daughters of God, we have things we can be eternally grateful for. Things that can never be taken away. They can never be shaken. And that's kind of the central truth this morning is that Christians have unshakable reasons to be eternally, eternally grateful and uh, we're going to look at three of those this morning from uh, First Timothy, and uh, we're just three weeks into our series on the book of First Timothy, and that's a, a book that is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to, uh, to young or younger Timothy, and it, the main idea of it is doing church as God intended. So Paul left Timothy in charge in the church in Ephesus to set things in order, to, um, to oversee the leadership and the teaching and all these other things. And and that's where um, that's kind of the whole point of this book is doing church when God's people gather. What should that look like, and what does God desire from that? So that's the gist of the um, of the book. And today we're going to look at verses uh, twelve and following from uh, chapter one. So and that is on page nine ninety one. If you're not as familiar with the Bible, there's one in the pew right in front of you that you can you could read along as well. So. It starts off like this. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And as I looked at that, I noticed that uh, literally it says, not I give thanks, but I have grace. And sometimes we say, you know, we say, who's going to say grace for the meal? And uh, I never really knew where that came from. And I I think it probably comes from this phrase. Literally, I have grace because the Lord Jesus has strengthened me. It's a a proclamation that I have something that I don't deserve. I've been given a gift, a precious gift, and I want to tell somebody about that. And so we can phrase that, I I give thanks. And uh, so what is Paul thankful for? What does every believer have that's unshakable that we can give thanks for? We're going to look at three of those things this morning. And the first of those is this. Why can followers of Jesus be filled with genuine gratitude in spite of life circumstances? First, we can give thanks because God makes messes into ministers. Messes like me, messes like each of us, he transforms us into his ministry team into ministers. Um, Verses 12 to 13, first part of 13, it says this. Again, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. I mentioned just uh, a few weeks ago uh, this passage where Paul kind of Tells a little of his backstory. Where did he come from? And it's it pretty awful, really. He uses these words to describe it. First, a, a blasphemer, which really means uh, it's like hate speech, abusive language. It's like the most offensive kind of way you could talk about something or someone. And it, often in the Bible, it's talked about blaspheming uh, God. And so saying things that are so offensive to and about God. And, uh, and this time in the Jewish world, this was a capital crime. You could be killed for blaspheming. You could be executed. And we have the, the story of, of Stephen, one of the leaders in the early church, who was actually uh, stoned to death. He was executed because of blasphemy. Because he said that Jesus is the one true God. And for that, they took his life. And Paul was right there holding the coats as that was happening We also see uh, Jesus himself was accused of blasphemy. What did he say that was so offensive toward God? He said that uh, he was the chosen one, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And uh, and that when the trial was going on, the leader said, we don't need to hear anymore. Death penalty for this. So here Paul is admitting, saying uh, in my story I deserved death for the kind of person I was. I was a Hateful, abusive talker toward God and toward others. He was spewing hate. And he was also, it says, a persecutor. And uh, and this word means someone who is preoccupied with causing others to suffer. That kind of person that just gets joy out of ruining other people's lives. And this is the kind of person that Paul said he was. In Acts 8, uh, this is before... um, before Paul got his new name, when he was still called Saul, it says, Saul was ravaging the church, and he entered house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It's like he just enjoyed. This is what, this is what he did with his life. He just was going to hunt them down, cause them pain. He was a persecutor. And finally, he was an insolent opponent. He was a violent aggressor in some translations. One who takes a superior attitude as they cause others' pain, that smug look on the face as you're ruining somebody else's life. So Paul was saying, this is who I was. I am an ex-blasphemer. I am an ex-persecutor. I am an ex-insolent opponent, violent accuser. And uh, he reveals this, his story. I was a rotten, terrible, terrible guy, But what did God do? When I was spewing hateful things, when I was causing others to suffer, when I was arrogantly violent, God did this to me. He strengthened me, he validated me, and he appointed me to ministry. It says that that God gave him strength and judged him faithful and appointed to ministry. Has God strengthened you, pulled you out of what you maybe once were or a direction you were headed, and he gave you the spiritual or moral strength to, uh, to follow him? Has he judged you faithful? He looks at your life if you're a child of God, and in spite of whatever else you think about yourself, he says, nope, you got it, because I have you. I have equipped you to do this, and you are going to be fine. <laughs> when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we think, I don't think I have this. I, I struggle. And, and finally, he, he appoints to service. He takes somebody like Paul that was a complete mess. He says, you know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to make you a minister of the gospel. Like he has to each one of you who is a child of God, he's given you a ministry. No matter where you came from, he's appointed you his minister. There's this fun little store that I found. My wife discovered downtown here, uh, Junk Girls, and uh, their their tagline is, "We have a passion for giving found, vintage, and forgotten objects new life." Well, they have all these you know rusty old things that are discarded, and they turn them into kind of fun art. And this is kind of what God does to us. He takes something that's that's rusty, messed up, forgotten forgotten objects, and uh, and He brings new life it. He repurposes us for his great purpose. And he does this to all of us. And some, uh, it just is more, more striking. And we love to hear their stories. Uh, I thought of Chuck Colson. Some of you know uh, the story of, of Chuck Colson, who passed away a few years ago. And uh, he was the hatchet man for, um, for Nixon during uh, Watergate scound- scoundrel, scandal, um, and all that. He was just portrayed as this totally heartless person, and the Lord got a hold of his life. He served time, um, and uh, he was transformed. And now he's he's written several books, and he's a, a big spokesperson for um, promoting a Christian worldview. He had a breakpoint uh, radio ministry. Uh, he started Prison Fellowship and uh, Angel Tree. That's part of that, where we've been involved as a church um, providing gifts for the children whose parents are incarcerated. And so God took a guy who was just, um, who was just a harsh uh, individual, um, he, maybe a, a persecutor, you might say, and he gave him a huge ministry, and he could do that for all of us. No matter where you came from, if you're a child of God, he has empowered and appointed you for ministry. And for that, we can be eternally grateful. That's something in the basket that uh, cannot be taken away, ever. And so we we give thanks. But we might feel deep down, I am not adequate. I'm not good enough. I still struggle. I'm not always faithful. Um, Is he really making me a minister? Well, yes, we all struggle, and that's why this second thing he does to us, is we can give thanks because God fills the faithless with faithfulness. He takes us when we are just so sketchy, so sporadic, so hit and miss, and he develops faithfulness and faith into our lives. Looking at uh, verse 13, about halfway through says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul was saying that he was in, uh, what characterized him at that time is unbelief, not faith. Or it could also be translated not faithful. It, very similar. Um, in, the, in the Greek, as in English, we use those same two meanings for, for that same root. Um, so Paul was uh, filled with doubts, perhaps. You ever have doubts, even in your, your walk with God or your, your relationship with Jesus? Are there days when you just aren't so sure, and that kind of pops up in your mind, and you think, how could God use me if I have these doubts? Well, he does. We'll see that. How about the lack of faithfulness? Is your walk with Jesus kind of hit and miss sometimes? You might have a, uh, you might have a, a winning stretch where you're doing well, and then you struggle, you you, you slip, you fall, you turn your back on him in large ways and small ways, um, unfaithfulness. Well, here's what God does, verse 14, and the grace, it's a gift, of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God takes people like you and me who are really hit and miss and unfaithful and sometimes have doubts, and he pours faith into us. He fills us overflowing with faith and love. He transforms our hearts and lives so that we truly become different people on the outside to match closer and closer what he's done uh, in eternity with our insides. We overflow. It's literally this, um, it's like a measure that doesn't fit in something. He gives you faith like that. Our faith is fickle, but he fills us. And how does he fill us? It's when we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, again, in that verse, overflowed with me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In, in the realm of Christ Jesus, being surrounded by Christ Jesus. Um, in, um, in John, we see the imagery of, of the vine and branches you know, we, we abide and dwell in him, and that's when we are transformed. I had uh, one of my many brothers, uh, he and his family moved to Texas years ago, and uh, one of the daughters in particular, uh, Danielle, just picked up on that southern accent, like, so fast. And It's when we immerse ourselves in an environment, we pick up on it. And she starts saying, you know, all y'all, and like, Aren't you a Southern California girl? Um, but uh, but she grabbed onto it. Some of you know Daniel. It's like uh, a little bit like this. We have some homemade um, vanilla at home. And uh, you just take the liqueur and you put the vanilla bean in it and let it soak and soak and soak. And, uh, and it becomes vanilla flavoring. It's delicious. I put it in my mochas and, and other things. And uh, this is how it is. Um, and this is how God transforms us. We spend time with Jesus. We immerse ourselves in his realm, and he transforms us. Like pickling. We get pickled in Jesus, and we're just plain old cucumbers, but then we, become, we take on the essence of Jesus when we surround ourselves with him. And, and what's that look like? Spending time uh, reflecting on his word? Um, Spending time uh, with his people, uh, spending time just talking to him throughout the day. And more and more, we just immerse ourselves in Jesus, in the realm of Jesus, and then he transforms us. This is why it's something that we are grateful for, this transformation, rather than we take pride in. Because if it worked like this, you try harder to be better, then who do you think? for being better. We kind of would think ourselves like, hey, look, I tried harder and look, I got better. But it just doesn't work. And people for centuries and centuries have tried that. Just try harder and you'll be better. But instead, we become transformed when we soak up being with Jesus. When we abide in the vine, when we dwell with him, we start to take on the essence of his character Jesus fills you. He transforms you as you immerse yourself in him. And so what should we do? We should give him thanks. That's something that can't be taken out of the basket, is that he is transforming us in spite of any circumstances we might have in life. So he does a third thing in verses 15 and 16. We can give thanks because God turns total failures into trophies, and I love that. Here's what verse 15 says. This saying is trustworthy, and it deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Okay, so I'm going to go nerd just for a minute on here and go a little side trail, is that there's several places in the book of 1st Timothy that uh, most scholars think are what you might call preformed material. So so Paul is writing along and he's not just he's not just making up these words as he as he's going along. This is an established phrase, maybe a creed, maybe a hymn or a song of the early church that he's referring to. And this is very likely one of those here, especially how it's set off with those words like this is a trustworthy saving, saying deserving full acceptance. In other words, you know what we, we keep saying, that Christ came to save sinners? Well, you can count on that. That's really true. You can trust that. And so throughout the book, there's several uh, you know, hints that, that this is going on, you know, looking at it from a, a literary standpoint. And so I think, why is that important, or why would I mention that? And uh, two things. Is, is One is it gives us hints about the things the early church um, was already rallying around. It's like this is what the early church uh, embraced or believed. These were the creeds, the hymns, the songs that they would sing about. Secondly, is it pushes back those same concepts to earlier than when the book was written. I hope, hope you're following this little line of thinking, this excursus or whatever you call it. So... This was written, you know, within a generation of the events of Jesus' life happened. So this pushes it back even further. So from the very early days of the church, the early church rallying together said that Christ came to save sinners. And the reason this is important is because people have looked, you know, with the lens of looking from here way back there, and they say, well, you know, the Jesus thing started off as a little thing. He had some followers, and then it kind of spun out of control, and they made a bigger and bigger deal about him until they made up this, like, you know, super, you know, super Jesus. And then now we worship the super Jesus. But this pushes it back to say, no, the very first people that saw all these things take place, that saw him killed, that saw him come to life, and they worshiped him, they said, We saw it, and we know that this is the Savior. Of the world, So I could see that 5% of you followed that track, and uh, I'll try better next time. But the point is, Christ came to save sinners, and we can count on that. But what I wonder, uh, thinking about this phrase and of the early church and, and say this is a creed that they would say, I wonder if that last piece was part of the formal creed or not, where Paul says, and I'm the foremost. I think it certainly can be. We can all say that all together, just believing Jesus came to save sinners just like me. Or we could say, and of primary concern is me. Like, before I start thinking about how other people are saved, I think about how, look what Christ did in my life. So why does God transform us? Verse 16 says this, But I received mercy, you know, this salvation, this undeserved gift, for this reason. Why? That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So in other words, Jesus uses your story to display his goodness. He sets you up as a trophy of what he can do in someone's life. And the reason he does it is as an example to those who are yet to believe. So people are kind of checking out Christianity, you know, what's this all about? And uh, and they meet you and talk to you and they say, Wow, if God could do that to you, <laughs> maybe he could transform my life as well. Everyone loves Okay, maybe not everyone, but lots of people love before and after pictures with projects, you know, fixer-upper projects. Uh, Heather and I have tackled some projects because we, uh, we lived in this really old home that needed a lot of work. And so we tackle projects and take some pictures. Except we usually forgot to take the before picture until we're well into the project. Um, but here's a couple. This was a, a bathroom we tried to remodel. Granted, we had no idea what we were doing. You know, but now you can just Google it, like, how do you remodel a bathroom? Oh, okay, I think we can do that. Um, and so there's the floor, just uh, dis- destroyed tile, and uh, there's us putting in the little penny tiles, or it was really fun. That foot will remain anonymous there. Um, here's where the bathtub was. You know, we tore all that out, and you see it's an old house. It has the the full, uh, the full width lumber in it. that's fully two by four inches. And we put in some subway tile, it's just really fun. It's fun. There's quite a learning curve to all this, we discovered. Um, then we got this sweet deal in, uh, in our area where you, if you were replacing turf, then you could potentially get a rebate, and we happened to get in on that. So we tackled this front yard of, uh, of thistles and such, and, uh, and we put in some landscaping. It's just, really, it's just really fun to work on these projects, and, and it probably aged me. Five or six years. (laughs) Um, But it's just fun to see. Okay, this this is what it was before, and this is what it is now. And, And it's fun. We like to share pictures like that with each other. Well, that's what God is doing with us, with his children. He says, look what you were before, and look what I'm doing with you now. I'm continually transferring you to be more and more like Jesus. Jesus has a trophy wall of fixer uppers. He has, you know, all these favorites: uh, the homeless drunk. I, I just really, you know, love what I did with that. Or the the self sufficient rich guy. You know, thought he had it all fixed, but he he was really a mess inside. Look what I did with that. With with the hooker, or the self righteous, or the gangster, or the addict, the skeptic. The abused or the abuser, he's got all these trophies. Look what I did. You were a total failure, and now you're on my trophy wall. And, uh, or, or you could say, uh, now you're the picture on my fridge, or you know, what, whatever world uh, you live in. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's made a trophy out of you. And the reason is not because it's about you. Again, it's the reason to show the world, hey, look what God can do. He can transform lives. No matter your past, no matter how how bad or in what ways you've failed, God's proud to display you as a piece of his handiwork. So just kind of review. These are some great reasons we can give thanks that can never be taken out of our basket. We can give thanks because God makes messes like you and me into his ministers. We can give thanks because God fills the faithless, you know, with that with, has doubts, that has that hit and miss kind of relationship with God, and instead he fills them, overflowing with faithfulness. And we can give thanks because God turns total failures into his trophies. And so if this is all true, if this is the kind of thing God does in our lives, then uh, what should we do about it? And we see in the final verse, it says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, Amen. When we're confronted with the fact of how God transforms lives and these things we can be grateful for that no one could take away ever, then we worship him. We, we give him thanks. We tell the world about how great God is. He's the, he's the king. He's, he's immortal. He has no end. He's invisible. He's the only, only true God. And to him, he deserves all our honor, all the fame, all the glory forever and ever and ever, amen. And that's what we do at Thanksgiving. And every day of the year when we're a child of God as we give him the worship, we give him the glory, the credit, the thanks. In a simple way, just what should we do about this? Let your life be characterized by eternal gratitude. Eternal in the sense of don't stop uh, being grateful in this way, but also eternal in the sense that these things we're grateful for can never be taken away. These are things secured in eternity forever. And uh, we serve a wonderful, amazing, amazing God. And some of you have baskets just full of things that come to mind that you could thank him for. But if you're a child of God, whatever else is or isn't in your basket, these, these three things are. And for that, we worship him. And so would you pray with me right now?